Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission here at Heritage is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for each other. I hope and pray that the message you're about to hear does that for you. And remember, you're always welcome here at Heritage Community Church. We're continuing this series on guarding the gates. We've taking our time kind of going through the series we're talking about the heart why because everything you do flows from the heart we've talked about the mind and all the different you know things about the mind that we have to be uh, that we have to be careful of that we have to guard to be used by god we we, we learned last week about the about the mouth gate about the power of our words and we're going to continue that today uh, but we learned last week about how the mouth and how amazing that it can be, but also how deadly that it can be. With it, you have the power of life and death. And honestly, I think some of the damage that we do to, uh, with our words is collateral damage because I think the root of the issue is sometimes how we talk to ourselves. I think you never talk to anybody else the same way that you talk to yourself. I think we are our own worst critics and sometimes... We down ourselves so much that we begin to believe the very words that we say. And because we've now presented that attitude in our hearts, now we now our countenance is that with everybody else because we're already in a place where we don't think that we're worth it. So the root of the issue sometimes is how we talk to ourselves. Why? We degrade ourselves and then number one, you begin to believe it. And then number two, it clouds your ability to speak life into others if our mind is on the negative. I call those, um, uh, call those death words. And I want to take a minute today and I want to talk more on the mouth and how, if not guarded, it can poison the situations around us. But if guarded the right way, it can be used to bring life to that which was dead. And I say that intentionally because once was dead, through Christ can come alive. And we have the ability to speak life into existence with our, with our words, encouraging people that may be at their wit's end. I don't know that I can make it anymore. And I don't know how many times I sometimes have even said that to myself in certain situations where I've caused sometimes, you know, a death in my own life. And how many times we could, we, we could do it by a show of hands on how many people in, the, in this room that have ever done that with themselves, talk negative about them. But we have the ability with our words that the gift that God gave us to speak life, encouragement into someone else. Amen? Amen. So what I want to do today is I want to bring this out and I want to talk about this very hard sermon to preach. And I hope y'all love me. This, this, this is tough. This is hard. But it's in his word, so we're going to go there. Lord, help me deliver this message the way that you want me to. God, help guide my mouth to say what you want me to say. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit be with me. And Lord, as hard and difficult as this message is to preach, I pray, Lord, that you would be my mouth. God, that you would do with me what you did with Moses when you promised them, I will be your mouth when you speak. So God, be my mouth and be my words today so that everything comes out, Lord, is pleasing and acceptable to your ear. God, I'm just thanking you right now for this opportunity and for all the ones that are in the room today. So God, I pray you'd open up their ears to hear, their minds to know, and their eyes to see the truth of your word. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I think it's important to understand that our tongue can guide us to a promising tomorrow if we use it the right way. Yeah. 
Did you know that a chameleon's tongue is twice the length of his entire body? Come on now. It's a long tongue. Did you know the tongue of a blue whale weighs more than the average elephant? It's truth. Science is crazy, isn't it? We also know that the tongue is the strongest muscle in the entire body. And of course, we learn that the power of the tongue goes much farther than strength or length. It's about the words that it can produce. It's, it's, it's in, in, in no writer in the Bible makes that more clear than James. Who's James? The, the book of James is remarkable for many reasons. Why? Because most scholars believe that this James was the half-brother of Jesus himself, which means that he writes from the perspective of not only hearing his words, but also seeing them in action. History tells us that James was the first pastor of Jerusalem, which means that James had the heart of a pastor. So you could only imagine that James prayed that the people in his church would experience the awesomeness of God. And being a pastor and the half-brother of of Jesus, you would think that people would have listened to every word that James had to say. And if you read through the book of James, all at once you can see the importance that James puts on your words. You can see the importance of using the tongue the right way. As a matter of fact, chapters 1, 2, and 3 is the longest discourse in the entire word of God on the tongue itself. It goes on to say that, that he even talks about different types of tongues, the perverse tongue, the lying tongue, the healthy tongue, and so on. So why is the topic of our mouths so important to James? It's because he had seen, he had heard, and he had experienced the life of Jesus firsthand and saw how powerful his words can be and probably through the occurrence of others around him seen how deadly that it can be as well. This is why I think James, it's what implored him to write about this. So in chapter 3 of James, that's where we're going to go today, and we're going to go throughout just about this entire chapter, James chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. But the first point that I I want to make today about the power of your words is that the tongue is disproportionately powerful. Now, what's that mean? James chapter 3, 1, it says, not many of you should become teachers. Why? Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James warns us to say that those who teach like myself will be judged strictly. The power of our tongue and our words is real, which is what leads us to this point that our tongue is disproportionately powerful, saying that while the tongue is so small in comparison to the rest of the body, it is as powerful as anything else that we have. And James tells us about this in James chapter 3 in the verse 3 where he says, when we put bits in to the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, some of you understand this morning that there's this little piece called a bit that goes into the horse's mouth. Now, what does that bit do? That bit, in, in essence, what James is saying, James is saying that the bit is our tongue and can help us steer us in the right way or the wrong way. And if we're going away from where God wants us, it's usually because our tongue or our mouth is leading us there. 
Why am I not as close to God as I should be? Well, maybe we should go back and check what we've said out of our mouth because sometimes we begin to believe the very words that we say. And if I sit here and tell myself that I'm never enough, that I won't ever amount to anything, then guess what we start to believe? Those types of words. So why am I not as close to God as I want? Well, I need to go back and think about the words that I say. Think about just a minute about a wild horse and how he behaves. The horse has no aim. He has no target. He just wanders wherever he wants to go. He has no goal except to just wander. And if you look at it in that sense, then what purpose does the horse have in that moment? Does it have one? And James implies that the same is true for you and I. If we don't bridle our tongue, we're never going to be able to get to that place in our life where we can accomplish the purpose of God in our life because we end up saying things that contradict what God wants to do we have to be careful and we have to guard our mouth you know sometimes we I feel that we think we can say whatever we want to whoever we want without thinking of the implications of how it may hurt someone else which is why I spoke last week on this acronym of wait w-a-i-t if we can answer the question why am I talking because if we can answer that question before we say anything, maybe, maybe we can leave out all those awkward conversations that we seem to get into from time to time. Because if what I'm about to say is about to bring life to somebody else, then by all means, Mike, use it. But if I'm, if I'm about to say something that may cause pain or harm down the road, I need to ask myself, why am I talking? And if I find out real quick that it's not going to help somebody, then maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't say that. James even states this when he says, those who consider themselves religious or servers of God, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion or service to him is worthless. Now, these aren't my words, it's his. Think about it. Think about it. If I don't keep a tight rein on my tongue, then my service to him is pointless because now I'm not using the words that God gave me to lift somebody up, but rather now I'm using them to tear down a creation that was made in the image of Christ himself. So why in the world would I want to degrade something that Christ made, right? That's why we have to guard our mouth. But James gives, uh, gives us a challenge number two when he talks about the rudder of a ship. When he says in verse 4, Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but makes great boasts. Has anybody ever taken a cruise? Come on now, aren't they awesome? All the food you can never want. Come on, that's the best thing about it. Yeah, you know, the water's great, the boat's good, but the midnight pizza buffet? Am I speaking to somebody? <laughs> Amen. The Titanic was 882 feet long, 11 stories high. The sheer size can be amazing to some, but then to think that boats today are much larger than that, and to think that on the Titanic, the rudder was only 78 feet long. 
an 882-foot-long boat, but a 78-foot rudder that controls wherever the boat goes. What's James trying to tell us? He's saying that when you're in the middle of a storm, your mouth is what's going to help steer you either out of it or deeper into the storm. What he's saying was we have to be careful with our words and what we say because what you say might bring an end to the situation you're coming through or it might bring about more pain. He's saying that your tongue is like the rudder and that when you, when you, when, when you walk into a storm, when, when you cruise into a storm, you're supposed to be turned into the direction of the wind to keep it from a tipping over. In the same way, when you're going through life and a storm hits you, your words matter. And when you speak death words over your storm, you believe that the worst is always coming. But if you speak life in the middle of the storm, and then the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that sometimes I can't sit here and explain to you with words about what it means to have peace. But I'm telling you what, when I signed the papers on that house, peace just hit me automatically. And I began to feel this relief. That's what peace does in the middle of a storm. When you trust in God to handle things that you yourself cannot handle. And some of you need to hear this today because we go into battles and we try to face things ourselves doing it our way and our way doesn't ever go what the way that we want it to. But if we do things his way, his will will always take place. You see, you meet a crisis head on by speaking the word of God over it and not worrying about the outcome. Fear. Hmm. The Lord's taking me a direction I didn't plan on going. Fear is the absence of hope. It's the absence of, 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 you know, of, of, of um, your faith in God. Listen to this. What I fear the most shows God where I trust him the least. And if you think about it just a moment, let me tell you what fear does. Fear will come over you in an instant to where you don't know which way is right or which way is left. You're in the middle of a storm and the waves are tossing you to and fro, right and left, and you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say. Fear will cause you to act and do things and say things that you later on wish you had never done or you had never said. But when you trust in God through every situation, the trust you have in him overcomes any fear that you have inside of your heart and the peace of God in the middle of the storm. Let me tell you something. When the storm was raging over the boat and all the disciples were worrying about this boat being tossed over, what was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. Why was he sleeping? Because he had peace. He was peace. The disciples in that moment didn't have peace with what was going on around them. So they decided what was best to do in that moment was to worry about every little thing that was going on. But the peace speaker, when, was, when he was waking up by the disciples saying, what in the world are you doing? Why are you sleeping? And Jesus wakes up and says, oh, ye have little faith. If you would just trust me, it will work out for your good. So child of God, let me tell you this morning, stop trying to do things your way and start doing things his way. It's not going to work when you do it yours. 
Come on, give the Lord some praise. The rudder of a ship helps guide the ship everywhere it goes. But James didn't stop there. James 3 verse 5, the last part, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on what? Fire by a small spark. I told the story last week of when we were in Alaska and the acres upon acres of woods were destroyed. All why? Because of a small spark. Your words can be the spark that either will enhance the flames or will decrease them. Think about it. Your words have power. The bit, the rudder, the spark. Each one gives insight into what James was trying to tell us about the tongue. The tongue can guide you into God's purpose for your life or it can lead you away. If you've ever heard the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I can show you the word of God and what the word of God says, but the application part is up to you. Are we going to take this when we leave the walls or when we leave the doors of this church and are we going to apply what the word of God says for us to do? Because I can promise you this. If you'll do what the word of God says and you'll read what it says and, and you will apply this to your life, our lives will be so much easier. Now, does that mean that things will always go perfect? No, but I'm telling you what, when seasons come and it feels like you just can't make it now, I know what to do and I know how to handle it because I have gotten into his word. His word is important. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. But what else does James say? James says that the tongue is bad from birth. James tells us that the tongue is just plain evil. In other words, James, uh, he, he's saying that our tongue was bad from the day that we were born. Think about it. No one had to teach somebody how, how, how uh, you know, uh, to, to a lie. Nobody had to teach somebody how to say something wrong. Nobody had to. It just comes natural. It comes natural to lie. It comes natural to curse. It comes natural to do all those things. But here's an interesting fact, though. Teenagers ages 12 to 16, science says, are your worst years in regards to taming your tongue. My oldest is 10, Lord have mercy. <laughs> and he's already there. <laughs> 12 to 16 is going to be a mountain ride. Come on now. But it's in those years where we tend to just let our words fly without thinking about what we're saying. It's also important that as parents, let me share this, parents. Guard what you say at home because your children will pick up on every word that you say. And if you say it, it's okay for them to say it. So be careful what you say at home. But the reality is the tongue was bad by itself. The tongue was bad by you know, a birth. And Proverbs chapter 12, and I want to talk about these types of words, reckless words. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What are these reckless words that we speak of? The first reckless word is lying. Proverbs chapter 6 says this, There are six things the Lord hates, those seven things that he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, the feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and then a person who sows discord among the brethren. In these lists of seven things that he just mentioned, he deals with our words twice, at the beginning and at the end. Why? Because God hates lying. He hates 
this sowing a discord among Christians. He, he doesn't like these things. And why does he not lying? Well, first of all, because he is truth. He doesn't like lying because he is truth. Why do we lie? We lie to seek approval, to be cool, to get away with things, to not get caught. So why do we lie? Because we can't tell the truth? Because we're afraid more of the right now consequence than we are the later on consequence? Because here's the reality. Lying not only hurts yourself, but depending on what you're lying about, it could affect the people you love the most. Lying is never a good thing. Number two, what does he not like? Strife. What is strife? Strife is sowing discord among the brethren. Proverbs says the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. What's it saying? Be a peace speaker. When you see people that you love that are quarreling with each other, be a peace speaker in the middle of it and saying, hey, there's a better way to do this. What else does he say? Proverbs says God's warning to those who stir up strife, but they will be destroyed suddenly, broken beyond all hope of healing. So what is strife? Angry conflict? Rivalry? You know, there's a pastor down in, in um, a Dallas named Robert Morris. And Robert Morris, is, there's this book that he wrote called The Power of Your Words. And it's from those notes that I got a lot of these from. And he says something in his book, and I love it. There's a quote It says, What a serious thing it is to stir up strife, especially among Christians. That's why I'm so grieved whenever I see someone doing it in the church. I fear for that person's well-being because of the scripture. But they will be destroyed suddenly, broken beyond all hope of healing. You see, one of the reasons why the enemy stirs up strife is because he knows how powerful unity is. He knows how powerful that the church can be when we're united together. He knows what you what, what that can do to a, to a church. So the so he he loves the enemy loves to stir up things and to just test the waters just a little bit, just enough to make us say something or do something to start it. Because he knows that if discord can begin to start within a church, then he has begun the stages to win the battle. But let me tell you something: when we come together in unity the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church when we work together for the common good to love God to love people to love self right when we share to the community about the grace of God then nothing nothing can beat that amen, amen. come on Matthew 22 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, but the second one is like it. What's it say? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the warning is this. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's why it's so important that we guard our heart first and foremost because everything we do out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's here is why it comes out here. Number three, what, what, uh, what are these reckless words? Number three would be, uh, would be a gossip. Proverbs 20 says a, a gossip tells secrets. So don't hang around somebody who talks too much. Come on now. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. A gossip is a person who 
spreads intimate or private rumors or truths. If somebody will gossip to you, they will more than likely also um, gossip about you. So be careful what you allow other people to say to you. And it's good in that moment to say, nope, I'm not hearing that. I'm sorry, I love you and you're my friend. But because of that, we're not going to do this right now. And let me tell you something. Let me remove the fear and say it's not bad to say that. It's not bad to do that. As a matter of fact, you're loving the person even more by holding them accountable. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. What does Proverbs say? A gossip tells secrets so don't hang around somebody who talks too, too much. It also says this. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife, but gossip separates the best of friends. Don't spiritualize gossip by saying this. I'm telling you this just so you can help me pray. If the Holy Spirit has nudged you not to say it, then maybe we shouldn't say it. Amen. Number four, slander. Proverbs chapter 10. Whoever spreads slander is a... Not my words. Slander is worse than gossip because it's not true. And it's malicious. It is something intentionally to hurt somebody else. And the Bible warns us not to keep company with somebody who slanders. Next one, tailbearing or breaking a confidence. In the church, people should feel safe to confess their sins to one another and know that they will be kept in confidence. Has anybody, you know, had somebody share something with somebody else when you told them not to? How's that make you feel? We shouldn't be doing that. Let me tell you something. Proverbs says, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a what? Faithful spirit conceals a matter. How about this next one? How about um, when, when you curse? How about cursing? Let's go there. We're already there. Ephesians 4, do, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Why? So that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. When you curse, you're doing just that. You're cursing over yourself. When we're calling people names, we are saying things to a, 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 to a creature that God created out of his own image. When you say or even you type a curse word, you're doing just that. You're cursing yourself. So the tongue is bad and we must guard it. But what else does James say within this in, in this passage about this tongue? That the tongue is humanly untamable. Now, it's important that we share humanly untamable because I can't tame it myself. But there's somebody who can. James chapter 3, for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tame and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can tame, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Have you ever said something really dumb and then said these words, I'll never say that again, just to say it again? No, never? There's a man by the name of Antoine Yates. Has anybody ever heard of him? Probably not. I hope not. Let me, let me, let me tell you why Antoine Yates is, was on the news many, many, many years ago. He was hospitalized because he had been attacked by his cat, 
named Ming. His cat was a 400-pound Bengal Siberian mix tiger. In his New York apartment. But was it mentioned in the article is that when the ambulance and cops arrived on the scene, there was an alligator they had to deal with first. There are some things, y'all, that just can't be tamed. And it's best not to get into those situations. The tongue fits into that category as well. We cannot tame the tongue. But I know that he can. How do I know that? In Exodus chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, and this is why this passage is so passionate to me. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He said, now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So don't ever for a moment think you're going to get yourself into a place where you don't know what to say or you don't know what to do. When you trust in the Lord himself and you say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And when I walk into it saying, I don't know what to say, but I trust you, then he'll teach you and he'll give you every word to say in, in that moment. Come on, somebody. The first essential thing you must practice in order for the Holy Spirit to help tame your tongue is the ability to hit pause. When you can hit pause before you say something and think about what happens next, the more times you will have a positive outcome. To pause simply means to wait. Why am I, why am I talking? And James chapter 1 tells us to be slow to speak. Right? He's saying to us to listen to what the Holy sees. Some of us can't hear what God's saying because we talk too much. <laughs> Y'all, <laughs> I hope you guys love me. Well, I'm glad because I'm home. But look, your mouths are powerful. And you have the ability to use them to speak death over somebody else or to encourage and bring life. Proverbs chapter 21, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from trouble. Proverbs chapter 10, sin is not ended by multiplying words. Come on now. But the prudent hold their tongues. This is what the Bible says. You see, once we've paused, then we're ready for the next step. And the next step is to allow the Holy Spirit to allow to allow Christ himself to step into the situation and to tame our tongue because we can't do it ourselves. But how do I know that he can? The prophet said this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah was telling everybody about a dream that he had had, about a, um, a vision from God. 
But I want you to pay really close attention to what happens next. And this is why I know that the tongue is humanly untamable, but is tameable by God himself. In chapter 6, verse 5, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king see Conviction was all over him in that moment. I have seen the king, but my mouth is unholy. And I even live among a people that speak this way as well. The message Bible reads it like this. Doom, it's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Every word I have spoken is tainted. And the people I live with talk the same, using words that are corrupt and even desecrate. And here, I've looked at God in the face. But keep in mind that Isaiah had this experience 700 years before Jesus would arrive to atone for the sin of all mankind. Yet Isaiah sinned, then was offered grace. You see, the coal within this passage represents Christ. He came to take away the sin. He came to help tame the tongue. So watch what happens next. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Why? Because the angel had taken the tongs off of the altar and he had placed it upon his lips. And all of a sudden his lips that were unclean are now clean and he said uh, see this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for let me tell you something the Lord can tame our tongue but I want to talk about this though too real quick as the band and, and um, praise team come number four the tongue can be contrastingly productive In James chapter 3 and 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And I can see James kind of shaking his head. He's shaking his head at this last part because he's saying fresh water and salt water don't go. You can't get a, a, a grape tree and have apples. You can't have an apple tree and have grapes. He said, no, if you want the fruit that only comes from his spirit, then we must operate with a healthy tongue. And we must believe in faith that whatever I need from him that he is able to do. I've got to believe that if I speak life into the situation, then I can start to believe that my God is for me and not against me. But if I start speaking death over myself by saying I won't ever amount to anything, then we begin to believe those lies, not from heaven, but from hell. And let me tell you something. What do we do? We speak life. We speak life. I asked this question to a, um, a bunch of friends that, that I have and. I asked them, I said, what are things that we say to ourselves that cause harm? Um, you know, to our mind? What are, what are things that we say to our personal and spiritual self? And the answers became coming from everywhere. And I want to share with you what they said. These are real people going through real life, saying real things. 
I will never have kids. I'll never get married. My marriage is over. No one can see me. No one wants to see me. Too old to be used. I'm too sick to make an impact. I can't do this. Why does it even matter? It is what it is. It's just the way it's always been. It really doesn't matter anyway. If I would have done it this way, things might have been just a little different. I just don't know what else to do. I'm not good enough for this. Other people are better than me. It won't change it anyway, so why bother? No one cares about me. I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be as happy as they are. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Nothing I do is right. I'm not cut out for this. I'm too shy or quiet. God can't use me. What's one time going to hurt? Who am I anyway? Why should anybody listen to me? I can. It's too hard. No one will miss me if I'm gone. There's nothing more for me to do. My time has passed. I might as well just quit. I'm not a good spouse. Can't be a good spouse. Or the worst one that I read and it brought tears to my eyes was I'm just a terrible parent. These are things that we tell ourselves. These are things that we say to ourselves. We're speaking death over our situations. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to, to just to beat ourselves up. He doesn't want us to say that we're not good enough. He doesn't want us to say that we can't make it. But He wants me to say that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He wants me to say that greater is He that is in me than he that is in this world. He wants me to say that I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of my testimony. He wants me to speak life into my situation. He wants me to speak positive about what I'm going through. He doesn't want me to be reckless with my words. We talked about those. He doesn't want me to speak death over my life. But rather, He says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That means you speak it over yourself. Speak it over yourself. Speak it over yourself. Speak it over your home. Speak it over your marriage. Speak it over your kids. Speak it over your job. Speak it over every situation. Speak life. And when you speak life over your home, and you speak life over every situation, then life is what comes. Speak life. And when you do it, don't worry about the outcome. Because God's got you. the altar team would come I'm done I need to quit I'm so passionate about this I could go on for God help me there's going to be people in this room that need healing come there's going to be people that need restoration, that need things that that's going on in your life, and I invite you to come. But there's going to be those of you in here as well that have spoken death over yourself. And I'm telling you what, listen to this pastor and saying this as clear and as frank as I know how to. Stop it. Stop. It doesn't amount to anything. But rather take that situation and say, God, 
it's yours I give it to you and I'm believing I'm believing in you whether it comes or whether it does not I still trust you whether it's what I want or sometimes what I want is not what he wants whatever it is I trust you but God I'm giving it to you and I'm going to stop speaking negative over myself and then I'm going to start believe that you are for me not against me all eyes closed all heads bowed you say pastor I've said those things over me I've said those things over my life would you raise your hand my God there's people in this congregation on the floor there's some in the balcony there's some on on this stage it's time to stop and allow the one who can calm the storm to speak peace over you so I'm gonna pray and when I pray don't hesitate get up and come these people in the altar aren't miracle workers but they can show you a God who is and can teach you about somebody who can take your pain and turn it into your testimony so when I pray come and let them pray with you God I thank you right now for every single person in this room and God I pray that the the message that I spoke today would ring true in somebody's life today that they're gonna leave this place stop and and and, and not speak negative things over their life anymore it's over and it's done no more but rather we're speaking life in the name of Jesus we're speaking life in the name of Jesus there's going to be that mom or there, or, there, or there might be a dad who's in this room who they say my child is speaking this over their life and I'm tired of the enemy winning and I'm taking my home back in the name of Jesus. Step in for that child. You may have a spouse who's speaking that over their life. Step in for your spouse. You may have a friend. Step in for that friend. But it ends today. We speak life in the name of Jesus. And it's in your name I pray, amen. And amen. Would you come and would you pray? Would you come?
So Lord, I run to you. No one else will do. Cause Lord, you said we'd face trouble, pain, and fear. But to be of good cheer, oh, be. For you have overcome, you have overcome the worship him right now. God, we thank you. God, we praise you, Lord. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this time of prayer. God, you are a good God, and I thank you, Lord, and I ask that we leave in, in um, just a couple of moments after we share some announcements and exciting things that are going on. Lord, that when we leave this place that we could apply what we've heard so that your will would be done in our life. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.